You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Yeah, it's great to see each and every one of you here today. And again, for those watching online, hello. Uh, Glad that you could join with us. Um, So... This morning, we'll be continuing through our sermon series, This is the Will of God for Us, as we seek to understand and discern from the Bible what the will of God is for us. You guys tracking so far? That's good. That makes sense? Okay. Um, No? All right, I'll just leave. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) On on that end, you know, today we're going to be looking at another thing that which God wills for us, Um, and it's a topic that's actually so, so big. Uh, and encompassing that it'll probably take the rest of the summer to really fully flesh out. Uh, and even then, I'm sure there'll be more that could be said, right? It's because it's such a big and encompassing topic. Uh, it's something that God wills for us in every moment of our lives and is working in us in every moment of our lives. And it's what the Bible refers to as our sanctification. Sanctification. So that's a nice big word, and we're going to try to figure out what that means this morning. So if you want to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 4, we're going to be reading verses 1 to 8. All right, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 to 8. Do you want your water, water bottle? <laughs> Before I kick it over. All right, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 to 8. It says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us how you must walk and please God, as you are doing, do so even more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality so that each of you knows how to control his own body in sanctification and honor, not with lustful desires like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means, what mon- this means one must not transgress against and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses, as we also previously told you and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to sanctification. Therefore, the person who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who also gives you his Holy Spirit. All right. So, a while ago, um, I saw an article on the internet about how a guy found this abandoned dog lying in a ditch beside the road. And the article showed pictures of this, this dog. And you can tell how malnourished it was because it was so skinny that you could, you, you could see its ribs and you could see its, its bone structure. Right? And, and, of course, the dog's hair was, was all matted and, and dirty. And to, to, be clear, to be clear, the dog was basically on its deathbed. Right? Uh, from, from the pictures I saw, I'm actually surprised the guy uh, who found it could even tell that it was a dog and not some just old old rug or some old mat that was just lying there that someone had tossed to the side of the road or, or if it was just roadkill or something like that. 
Uh, so I'm surprised he even, even thought to look if this dog was alive. But he did, and, and he's filled with compassion. And so he picked up this stray dog, and, and he brought it to his house. And then after rescuing and, and, and adopting this dirty and dying dog as his own, he then started the process of slowly nursing it back to life, right? Giving it water, giving it food, then a bath, then, you know, combing and cutting its matted hair, training it to, to trust him. And eventually over time, the, the, the dog started to look and act healthy and dog-like again, most of all secure in, in his new master's arms. And so, so it's a really feel-good article that I read about this you know, dog being rescued. And, and knowing dogs, my bet is that its response to this guy would, would be that this dog would now remain loyal and obedient to that guy for the rest of its life. Right? And the reason that I'm telling you this story is because what this guy did for that dog is, is a great allegory or example of what God does and wills through us or for us through Jesus Christ to not only rescue us dirty and dying in our sin from the side of the road and to not only pay our debts and, and adopt us into his kingdom, but then to clean us up from our sin, to mold us and develop us into our true selves to, to train us to trust him in obedience and ultimately to make us holy as he is holy. And this is what's often referred to in Scripture as our sanctification. And this comes from the root word sanctify, which generally means to be set apart for or consecrated to God. Consecrated to God. So, uh, Timothy Keller, theologian Timothy Keller, he writes this. He says, God sees us as we are, and he loves us as we are, and accepts us as we are. But by his grace, he does not leave us as we are. So last week, if, if you were with us last week, we learned that it's God's will and desire to save his people through Jesus Christ. That, that, that anyone who now believes in his name, no matter how far off, no matter, no matter how unclean or, or sinful or unworthy, no matter how far off you are, you can find forgiveness and acceptance into God's satisfying presence. And then from there, Hebrews 10 verse 10 says this, and by that will, right, his saving will for us, by that will... We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So I'm just going to explain this really quick, what this means. So again, what this means for us is that as Christians, we've been forgiven and, and justified before God through Jesus, right, through his righteousness, which means God sees us as he sees Jesus. And so we have therefore, we, so therefore we've already been positionally sanctified or set apart from the sinful world and invited into the presence of God, who himself is, is holy and set apart from creation and sin. So we've been invited into and accepted into God's presence. We've been sanctified, positionally sanctified. And, and this is an incredible reality, which becomes even more incredible when, when we discover that, that nothing can change that or, or remove us from that position of being set apart for God. As Jesus said in our passage from last week, the Father's will 
is that he let go of none that he's given. But there's more good news here. Because even though we've already been positionally accepted by God, he still desires to practically develop us and mold us into his likeness as well. To to bring us to a place of maturity in our faith. To continually strip away the the sin and and temptations which still cling to our hearts and, and to make us blameless before him. So yes, God, God forgives us as we are, but he loves us more than that even, which, which is why he, he wants us to become our best selves uh, according to who he has created us to be. So we've been given a new life in Christ, and God wants us to learn how to live it out to the fullest. I mean, going back to the guy with his dog, can you imagine if, if, if that guy just found that stray dog brought it to his home, right, adopted it, but then just left it, just left it malnourished and dirty like that. Can you imagine that? Didn't, didn't feed it, didn't give it a bath, didn't teach it to trust him, how to be obedient, right? If you saw a dog like that at somebody's house, mangy, unkempt, out of control, right, you'd immediately think the owner was, was most likely abusive and very unloving, Right? My bet is you probably call animal services on that person. Because the condition of the dog is an obvious reflection of the care and compassion of its master. You could say the same thing about, about kids, right? The condi- condition of a children is reflective of the parents, right? And in the same way, if God adopts us into his kingdom, but then just leaves us in the same condition he found us in and doesn't, uh, doesn't teach us how to live in, in his kingdom then that would be a pretty jerk move, right? It'd be like having a baby and then letting it fend for itself. What good and loving parent would do that? Not, not to mention that we'd make God look pretty bad too if we, if we continued to live as we did before we were saved and born again. So the, the truth is that, that if we've been positionally set apart from the world and, and adopted into the kingdom of God, we should then also practically look and act like it. As children of God, we we should now reflect his image. And that's what God wills for us, that we learn that, that we grow in that. 1 Thessalonians 5.5 says it like this. It says, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are no longer of the night or of the darkness. Galatians 5.5 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So again, since we've been adopted as citizens of the kingdom of God, we should therefore no longer desire that which is ungodly. We should no longer choose to sin, but rather we should be striving to act and behave like citizens of his kingdom. And this is why it says in, in James 1, 21 to 22, it says this, therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You see, our, our new nature in Christ, this new, new heart that we've been given that we learned about in the, in the kids' message, right? 
it, it should begin to practically and, and morally translate into a new way of living, which is unlike the world and reflective of who Jesus is. And sanctification is the process that, that takes place in our hearts and minds that brings about this. It's a process which removes the old and implants the new. This is what God does in our hearts. And, and this is especially important as well, because as we learned last week, God has also called us and, and filled us with his spirit to partner with him in proclaiming his kingdom until he comes again. So as the church, we've, we've God's plan, we just talked about that in the kids' sermon, right? God's plan is that we would be lights of Christ in the world. But the only way we can be lights of Christ is if we've been transformed to shine like Christ. So God's will for us, then, is to be transformed or or sanctified into his likeness and for his good purpose, to be built up and purified. Not only to free us from being slaves to sin, but also so that we can be equipped to go forth as his ambassadors and lights of his gospel in this world of darkness. But we have to recognize that this, this transformation doesn't usually you know, magically happen overnight. Again, we've been forgiven of our sin, subsequently accepted into his presence, filled with his spirit the very moment that we believe in Jesus. But from there... That's when we begin this continual process or journey of purification and maturation. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. Right? Where our faces have been unveiled. We can, we can confidently go into the presence of God because of what Jesus has done for us. So we're beholding the glory of the Lord. What comes next? Our being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So it says we're being transformed into the same image. We're being transformed. In other words, transformation is a process. It's a process. And on that note, I want to point out just kind of a side note. I want to point out that this means that God doesn't expect immediate perfection from us. We don't need to run around feeling ashamed or guilty that we're not perfect yet. Because the truth is we never will be perfect on this side of heaven. And again, fortunately for us, Jesus stands in our place and is perfect on our behalf. So we can hope in that and rejoice in that. And this also means, you know, since nobody's perfect... We have to make sure that we don't go around judging others for not being as perfect or, or for being less knowledgeable or less righteous than you are, right? And in the same vein, again, take the pressure off of yourselves as well. This is a journey of growth. And of course, there's always grace for when we sin and when we don't get it right. But this, but, but this is a journey and God does desire hearts who in turn desire to go on this journey who desire to grow in him. But again, this is going to be an ongoing process that will continue throughout our whole lifetime. 
After all, Solomon's temple wasn't built in a day either, as they say. I don't, actually don't think they say that, but still, it's true. It's true, right? And since we're on the subject, the temple or, or the tabernacle is, is, is actually uh, used throughout Scripture as one of the most common themes for God's holiness and our sanctification. Let me explain. In, in the Old Testament, God had, had Israelites construct a tabernacle so that, they could, so that he could dwell among them as they wandered the desert for 40 years. And many years later, j- during the reign of King Solomon, he had him build him a temple as well in Jerusalem. And so within both the tabernacle and, or the temple, th- there was this room called the Holy of Holies. And there was a curtain that covered it, and, and no one could en- enter that room because that's where the presence of God would dwell. And that Holy of Holies. And due to God's glory and holiness... Right? Nothing and no one could enter into that Holy of Holies and survive unless it was consecra- consecrated or sanctified for that sole purpose. So whether it was specific vessels or, or candelabra or even the high priest himself who would enter once a year to make sacrifices on behalf of the people, they, they had to be consecrated and sanctified for that one purpose or else they'd be overcome. They, they'd, they'd be overcome in the holiness of God. Ultimately, then, the purpose of the temple of God was to be a place of of sanctity for the holy God to dwell among his people. And this is where we get the word sanctuary, right, from from that root word sanctity or sanctify. The sanctuary is the place where the holy God dwells. And what I also find intriguing about, you know, the construction of the temple and I think we often gloss over this, this part of the Bible. You know, if we're reading through the Bible, we, re, we skip ahead when we come to, to, to this part because it can get kind of boring, right? Let's be honest. Yeah? No? We're really interested in reading about, you know, the measurements and all that kind of stuff. You like that? Yeah. Bryce would like that. He's into construction. Um, but for, for the normal people, um, I'm just <laughs> I'm kidding. But, you know, if we do read about it, if we read through it, it's, it's actually quite amazing. And, and telling how specific God is in how his temple must be built, right? Every, every room and every design, every part of the structure has a purpose. While, while, while each room's dimensions, each, each decoration, each temple vessel was to be intricately and specifically built and measured out to the, to the cubit and to be constructed with spe- specific types of wood and stone and metal, according to God's design. In other words, the, the temple itself was to be a reflection of, of the holiness and purity of God. It was to be a reflection of his perfection, his character, and his will. His dwelling place had to reflect his nature and his holiness. But then here's the kicker. Before Jesus went to the cross, he actually told his disciples and anyone else listening at that time that he'd destroy the temple and raise it up after three days. And he offended a lot of people by saying that, as you can imagine. He said he'd destroy the temple and raise it up after three days. But by saying that, first of all, he was actually referring to himself 
becoming the new temple of God, dying for our sin at the cross, and then being raised up from the grave after three days, where he'd become the perfect living temple, inviting all who believe in his name to enter into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God with confidence and boldness. But secondly, he was telling his disciples that they would also be built up into a temple of God through him. Ephesians 2, 19-22 explains this. It says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In other words, if if you are a believer in Christ, filled with his Spirit, you are now part of the temple of God. You are a place in which God dwells. That's pretty, that's pretty intense. And again, especially when you think God's dwelling place needs to reflect his nature and his holiness. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, it says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. As the new temple of God, we're we're meant to glorify God in our bodies. With our actions, with our character. We're meant to be consecrated for him. We're meant to carry his presence into the world. As Mark Sayers writes, Jesus, the new temple was to birth a new kind of people of God. A new temple built not of stone, but ordinary human lives, drawn together, transformed, and filled with his presence. And that church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, now takes his presence across the world. So we're the living temple of God, human stones built up into a spiritual house. For me, this is mind-blowing, to think that, that God would set us apart for him in order to dwell in us through his Holy Spirit. That, that's mind-blowing. And again, it's also humbling. You know, especially, especially when I think of how Again, how intricate and perfect he required his earthly temple to be. How, how he required his, his dwelling place to reflect his holiness. And, and when I think of that, I know that I myself have a long way to go before I come even close to that. 
without a doubt, the, the Holy Spirit has a lot of sanctifying and, and purifying to do in me before I even reach that, that standard of holiness and sanctity. In fact, when, when I think of that time when Jesus went into the temple and he's whipping the, the, the thieves and moneylenders out of it, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? He goes in there, he's, he's angry. That they've, they've turned it into a place of uh, a den of thieves, right? And he's, he's whipping them out and he's throwing tables over. And I think about how sometimes the Spirit has had to do that in my heart and probably still needs to do it a lot more. Whipping and, and ripping the, the, you know, the bitterness and, and envy and pride and impatience and all that, that sin which still clings and weighs me down. And I know I'm not the, the only one who feels that way. On that note, the truth is that, that you know, sanctification isn't always going to be a joyful process. The outcome is always joyful. And when we're in it, we can rejoice knowing what the outcome will be. But it's not always a joyous process while we're in it. And sometimes, because sometimes God has to uncover a certain sin that we didn't want to revisit or repent of. Right? We've tried to hide it away. He's going to uncover that. Or he, or he has to tear away some sin in our, that is hard in our hearts. Sometimes we have to go through seasons or trials of, of, of humbling, right? or, or times of repentance, right? so that we can truly allow God to, to do his, his purifying work in us and, and form us into the living temples he's created us to be. Because again, this, this is the goal. To be living temples of God. And in fact, this is what being human is truly supposed to look like. We go all the way back to Genesis, right at the beginning, at the Garden of Eden, we see that, that it was actually created to be this temple image of sorts, right? For God's presence to dwell with Adam and Eve. They were, they were his people, and he was their God. And so every other temple, that's every other tabernacle and temple that, that we see constructed in the Old Testament, those, that, that, that temple was meant to reflect the reality of the garden. And so now in Christ, God, God has restored this relationship again, a reality which, which will, 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 will be culminated and seen in full when Jesus returns in glory to establish the new heaven and earth or will fully be in the presence of God. And so what we think, well, being this temple of God, God dwelling in us, should be mind-blowing. This is actually how it was always meant to be. Again, as we learned last week, this, this is true life. This is eternal life, to know God and to know Jesus whom he sent, to dwell in his presence. As Mark Sayers again writes, the human life is only a functioning life system when we live as temples filled with the presence. He's talking about the presence of God there. So this, this is why God's will is for us to be sanctified 
to be set apart for him. He wants us to be set apart from the world and restored into the imago Dei, into the image of God, into who we were created to be, to put off our old sinful selves and be renewed into a fully realized humanity where he can fully dwell with us and we can fully be satisfied in him. As J.I. Packer writes, the deepest word that can be spoken about sanctification is that it is a progress towards true humanity. Next week, we're going to be learning all about how God works this will in us. But it's important for us to to realize, I think, two things at this point. First of all, that God will use and is constantly using every circumstance and event and moment in our life to sanctify us and to draw us closer to him and form us in his likeness. I'm not saying he he causes everything to happen. We're not going to go down that theological discourse. But he won't let any of it go to waste when it comes to our spiritual growth. He's worked all of these things into his plan because that's the goal. That's the ultimate goal. And again, we'll learn more about this next week and in the weeks to come. But yet, this is a good reminder that, that you know, even in, when we're in those times in our lives where we don't understand the full purpose of why we're going through something or why God has called us to do this thing, we, we can be sure that God's using it to test our faith and to sanctify us. For example, whether that's going through a trial or being called to do something difficult, right? We, we can count it a joy because it'll test our faith. It'll increase our dependence on God while also producing character and endurance. You can read James 1 for more on that. But secondly, this also means that we need to wake up our, our spiritual lazy selves and realize that there's a synergistic type of calling in this. And that we're meant to be active partners with God in our sanctification. We're meant to be active partners with God in our sanctification. Especially because if, if, we, if we already know it's God's will for us to mature, if we already know it's God's will for us to be built up together as the temple of God, then we should both desire it and get to it. Practically speaking, this means a bunch of things, but first of all, as always, this means that we should be consistently praying and reading our Bible, reading the Word of God, constantly growing in the knowledge of who He is and who He's called us to be. And this also means that we should be spending time in daily repentance. I know some of us view repentance as this like negative, woe is me thing. But no, it's actually a a grace that God's given us where we can come to him and we can lay our sins down at the cross and be done with them, right? It's it's an opportunity for us to to, to turn our eyes to Christ and, and strip off our old nature 
and choose to live for him and abstain from living like the world, morally speaking. Because that's what we're called to do. Colossians 3.5 says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. That's no longer us anymore. And so repentance gives us an opportunity to put those things to death. And again, if we're temples of God, we should be removing and in the same vein refusing to invite anything into the temple which doesn't align with God's nature and holiness. In 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 16, it says it like this. It says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Which is a false god, by the way. Well, what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So, so to be sanctified in God is to be separated with Christ from the world. Those things don't work together anymore. Of course, we still love the world, right? We're still in the world, and we still love the world, but we're separated from living like the world. And so this also means that we should be striving to walk in obedience to God. Again, not, not to earn his favor or, or to fake it till we make it or whatever, but in response to the grace and favor that we've already been given. Colossians 2.6 says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Right, so we're called to live and train in righteousness, to take up our cross and follow Jesus. Jesus said, You'll know if you're my friends if you obey my commandments. And we'll know that we're growing in sanctification the more that we learn how to do that and the more that we do walk and obey Christ. And finally, this also means that, that we can and should be encouraging one another in the church to do the same, to, to grow in unity as the temple of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. So just as God wills for our individual sanctification, we should desire to see that in one another and ultimately in the church as a whole, that we would grow up as the temple with Christ being the cornerstone. And finally then, we need to also understand that the, the more we become sanctified in the truth and in the likeness of Christ, the more discerning that we'll also become in understanding God's will in other parts of our lives. As it says in Romans 12, 1 to 2, which will also be our concluding passage this morning. Romans 12, 1 to 2. It says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So in conclusion then, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the way in which you've loved us, Lord, for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to take our sin upon himself, the weight of our sin upon himself at the cross, Lord. That we might be forgiven. That we would be covered in his righteousness. And that we can now boldly come into your presence with confidence with joy. And Lord, when we think of just how amazing it is that you've, you've invited us to, to be your living temple, Lord, how amazing that is. How incredible that is, Lord. But also how humbling that is, Lord. And I, and, and I thank you for the work that you're already doing in our hearts that you've given us a new heart, Lord, but I pray that you would continue to do that work in us, that you would continue to, to purify us, to build us up, that we would, that each and every day, more and more, we would reflect your goodness, your mercy, your love, and your holiness in this world, Lord. Lord, I thank you for, that your will is for us to, to be formed into your likeness, Lord. And I pray for that for each of us this morning. And we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.